that I heard of once in a lullaby Somewhere over the rainbow Skies are blue And the dreams that you dare Welcome to the Discovering the Male Mysteries podcast. I'm your host, Mel Mystery. Today, finally, the long-awaited Over the Rainbow episode. I've decided to split this episode into two parts. Part two will be out later this summer. I had originally envisioned this episode back last summer as a response to a phenomenon. Phenomenon. Cool it, guys. I had originally wanted to do an episode on something that Tim Bergling, in his book, Reeling in the Years, called the Over the Rainbow Crowd, those gay people who, for whatever reason, are over the gay scene. I'm going to make you wait a bit longer for that, as that topic will be discussed in greater detail in Part 2. In Part 1, we'll deal more with the mystical symbolism of the rainbow. We'll travel across the rainbow bridge of Bivrost and talk about the Norse god Freyr. We'll have some news, and we'll have a review of the book The Trouble with Normal by Michael Warner. There is one favor I'd like to ask of listeners to help me out with Part 2 of this episode. If you're over the gay scene, send me a short paragraph or so telling me why. If you think the gay scene is the greatest thing since Judy Garland, send me a paragraph or so about your reasons for that, too. I'll include a handful of your quotes in Part 2 of this episode. You can find my email on the Mail Mysteries website at http colon backslash backslash mailmystery.matrixworks.com. That's http colon backslash backslash M-E-L-M-Y-S-T-E-R-Y dot M-A-T-R-I-X W-E-R-X dot com. Anyway, on with the show. Many gay and bisexual men, dissatisfied with modern religions that struggle to accept and condone us, are hearing the call of the old gods, those gods and religions of antiquity that embraced us and recognized our inherent spirituality. While modern religions debate our worth as lovers, as priests, as sexual beings, the old gods and the old religions embraced us as sacred. We were their shamans, their priests, the intermediaries between the gods and mankind. Many of the gods themselves were homosexual, bisexual, or transgendered. These gods were untamed, vibrant, and sexual. Accept their call and their healing embrace. These are the Male Mysteries, and I'm your host, Mel Mystery. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Gay gods. This episode, for the Gay Gods segment, I've decided to travel across the Rainbow Bridge of Asgard and talk about the Norse god Freyr. Freyr is one of the most important, popular, and handsomest of the Vanir in Norse paganism. 
The Vanir gods are frequently associated with fertility and prosperity. Freyr is a god of earth, light, and sunshine, vegetation, water, eroticism, love, magic, family, the weather, self-sacrifice, and peace. Freyr is a phallic god, and some have called Freyr the Norse Green Man. Freyr is lord of the light elves, and he rules Alfheimer, the realm of the elves. Freyr rides the shining boar, Gulen Bursti, who pulls his chariot, and he also possesses the ship, Hidladnir, which always has a favorable breeze and can be folded together and carried in a pouch when it is not being used. He also carries a magic sword that fights on its own, if wise be he who wields it. The most extensive surviving Freyr myth relates Freyr's falling in love with the giantess Gerda. Eventually she becomes his wife, but first Freyr has to give away his magic sword in order to woo her. Although deprived of this weapon, Freyr defeats the giant Beli, I guess that's how it's pronounced, with an antler. In the final battle of Ragnarok, Freyr will fight fire giant Surt, but without his magic sword, Freyr will be the first killed in the battle. Other names associated with Freyr are Frey, Fro, Frico, Ing, Ingar, and Ingvi. Freyr, like the other Vanir deities, was popular in Sweden, though he was known in Norway and Iceland as well. A statue was found at the temple at Uppsala, where he was portrayed with a gigantic phallus. Clearly this statue and other statuettes and amulets found in Sweden showed that Freyr was a fertility god. Freyr is not known to have had any homosexual encounters, but he was served by gay or transgendered priests. According to the Saxo Grammaticus, these male priests dressed in feminine attire, employed effeminate gestures, behaved rather wantonly, and used bells. They also appear to have participated in a hieros gamos, or a symbolic coupling, which may have involved homosexual acts, in order to ensure a fruitful and fertile growing season. Every nine years there was also a sacrificial rite known as Froblood, held at Freyr's Temple at Uppsala in Sweden. As part of this rite, celebrated every nine years for nine consecutive nights, nine males of every living species, including humans, were sacrificed to Freyr, and then hung from trees near the temple. I couldn't find much else about this rite, so I can't tell you if those sacrificed were criminals, prisoners of war, or persons who volunteered, nor can I tell you the exact purpose of the rite. From what I could find, it appears that this may have been a sacrifice just meant to appease the god. Freyr's worship may also have included shamanistic elements. His sister Freya employed a shamanic practice called Seether, and shamanic practices were considered to be feminine in nature. Men generally practiced Galdair, or runic magic, which was considered masculine. In recent years, the worship of both Freyr and his sister Freya is experiencing a revival, particularly among men, including gay men. Freyr is especially honored at Yule when boars are sacrificed to him, and Frey's bloat is held yearly on or around July 31st. Correspondences for Freyr include the sun, the colors green, gold, brown, and red, ivy, holly, nuts, and cones, the ash and yew trees, Appropriate incenses and libations to Freyr include pine, mint, sandalwood, strawberries, strawberry wine, and boars. His rune is Inguaz. Uh, another thing, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, Inguaz, Inguez. Freyr may be called upon for issues related to love, male concerns, in other words, concerns about impotence and fertility. He is a phallic god after all. Peace and pleasure, good luck, protection, and family concerns. Okay, here's a poem I found online dedicated to the god Freyr, 
by Hither Asanar. Hail, Froing, our holy horned god of earth, loving lord of wild woods, merriment, and mirth. Fire and flame, light and laughter, we do gift thee. I, at the joyous joining of well and tree, seed sire of sacrifice, patron of power, bear forth anon amongst us this midnight hour, winding and weaving through this numinous night, dancing our dances of desire and delight. Proud phallus and strongest stallion, be our ing. Virile Volsi, we worship thee with earthing. Flesh free of bonds, skin shines, glistens, and dust glow. With our magnetic might, we entice thee fro. Then beauty and bliss be ours as one with God. Hail, holy, horned lord of the regal rod. several months since the last podcast. A Polish monk preaches divine sex, get this, with the church's blessing. Polish friar Kasauri Knotts says that by giving married couples tips on how to practice divine sex, he is simply doing God's work. Knotts has held retreats with more than 3,000 devoutly Roman Catholic couples in Poland since the year 2000 with the blessing of church superiors. Couples are so eager to attend his workshops that he is booked solid. Knotts himself remains celibate, but says, If you believe in God, then you believe God is involved in life, in love, marriage, and in sex and sexuality. It seems natural to talk about sex, to remove taboos, and the label of sinfulness. The friar admits that the popular teachings of the Roman Catholic Church on the subject of sex have been weak. Knotts is quick to point out that in keeping with the Church's teachings, he preaches only about the joy of sex restricted to marriage between a man and a woman. Anglican leader seeks moratorium on gay bishops. Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, urged church leaders in England not to consecrate another gay bishop, saying the fellowship will be in grave peril without a delay. In his final speech at the once-a-decade Lambeth Conference, Williams said Anglicans need space for study and free discussion without pressure about whether to accept changes in traditional biblical understanding of same-sex relationships. He also asked churches to refrain from adopting official prayers for blessing same-gender unions. The 77 million member Anglican Communion has been splintering since 2003 when the U.S. Episcopal Church consecrated the first openly gay bishop, V. Gene Robinson of New Hampshire. Oregon tribe to allow same-sex marriages. At the request of a lesbian couple, the Coquille Indian tribe of the southern Oregon coast has adopted a law recognizing same-sex marriage. 
tribal law specialists say this tribe is the first tribe to sanction such marriages. Most tribal law doesn't address the issue. The Navajo and Cherokee tribes prohibit same-sex marriages. Legal scholars said that tribes do have authority over domestic relations among tribal members, but Congress may have the ultimate say-so. Tribes have all the rights they have historically held unless Congress takes them away or they give them up by treaty. Oregon voters amended the state constitution in 2004 to prohibit gay marriages, but with its sovereignty recognized by the federal government, the tribe is not bound by the state constitution. However, same-sex couples married within the tribe do not get any of the federal U.S. rights associated with marriage, only recognition of their relationship by the tribe. Close your eyes and tap your heels together three times. Today's fairy fact is about the Rainbow Bridge of Bivrost. Cross the Rainbow Bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar. You'll behold in breathless wonder. Bivrost in North mythology is the Rainbow Bridge built by the Aesir gods leading from Midgard, the realm of the mortals, to Asgard, the realm of the gods. The gods travel the bridge daily to hold their councils and pass judgment at the well of Erd under the shade of the world tree. The bridge itself is the rainbow, and its guardian is the god Heimdallar, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, whose hall is located at the upper edge of the bridge. The red color was the flaming fire which served as a defense against the giants. The bridge is destroyed at the end of the world when it is ridden upon by the fire giants during the destruction of Ragnarok. Some scholars think that Bivrost may have originally represented the Milky Way and was reinterpreted as a rainbow when confronted with variations in terminology. It looks like we have time for one more bit of rainbow mythology in this segment, so now we travel south to the southern hemisphere and to the mythology of Australia. The aboriginal people of Australia have an important mythological being in their creation myths known as the Rainbow Serpent. The rainbow serpent is seen as the inhabitant of permanent water holes and is in control of life's most precious resource, water. He is the underlying aboriginal myth for the famous outback, Bunyip, a cryptozoological, a, a, a cryptozoological lake monster. He is the sometimes unpredictable rainbow serpent who vies with the ever-reliable sun that replenishes the stores of water, forming gullies and deep channels as he slithered across the landscape, allowing for the collection and distribution of water. Dreamtime stories tell of the great spirits during creation. In animal and human form, they molded the barren and featureless earth. The rainbow serpent came from beneath the ground and created huge ridges, mountains, and gorges as it pushed upwards. He is a serpent of immense proportions which inhabits deep permanent water holes. It is known both as a benevolent protector of its people and as a malevolent a mal, I'm tongue twisted today a malevolent punisher of lawbreakers. The Rainbow Serpent's mythology 
is closely linked to land, water, life, social relationships, and fertility. There are innumerable names and stories associated with the serpent, all of which communicate the significance and power of this being within aboriginal traditions. Close your eyes and tap your heels together three times. For this episode, I've chosen to include a review of the book The Trouble with Normal by Michael Warner. I believe this ties in nicely with the theme of this episode because I believe that many gay men have issues with the gay scene because of their own desire to be quote-unquote normal. That could be the reason why at least some gay men are over the rainbow. Warner starts with the premise that people like to control the sex lives of others, and for many this is where their sense of morality begins. But Warner argues that controlling the sex lives of others is not only unethical, but that this attitude is actually moralism rather than any kind of ethics or true morality. Our culture governs sex, not just harmful sex like rape, but all sex by legally regulating what is and isn't acceptable, prohibiting some forms of victimless sexuality, and by restricting access to and information about sexuality. Society also claims one set of sexual values and practices as normal, while vilifying all others. Those who fall outside the sexual norms might be humiliated, beaten, jailed, or stigmatized as deviants and criminals. Warner argues that what many would take for granted as immoral, criminal, or pathological might just be harmless difference and a rival morality, and society's repression of sexuality may be the basis of pathology rather than sexuality itself. Attitudes about sexuality have been tainted by the early Christian church's fear and repulsion of the flesh and the belief that sex is only about procreation. As such, society dictates that certain things aren't permissible and should be controlled, including homosexuality, sex outside the holy institution of marriage, promiscuity, masturbation, group sex, casual sex, sex with someone outside your age group, public sex, pornography, S&M sex, and virtually any other sex that doesn't include the possibility of insemination. Traditionally, this even included birth control, and if you're Catholic, it still does. All of these things are vilified and shamed by our society. Gay people are particularly vulnerable to this shaming because we grew up in heterosexual families and with heterosexual peers who all assume we're heterosexual. Our schools and religions assume the same and indoctrinate us to grow up to be normal, responsible, heterosexual citizens. To those who grow up realizing they're gay, this leads to a sense of estrangement and secrecy that further perpetuates those feelings of shame. Is it any wonder that many gay adults and even the gay movement itself seek validation and acceptance over sexual autonomy and difference? To embrace our difference and our sexuality would be to invite shame and our own feelings of inadequacy, of not being normal. This creates ambivalence for many gay people. They want to feel normal and connected to the heterosexual world that includes their parents and family, but they're also part of the gay world and the stigma associated with it. They may feel that their own feelings and actions are honorable, and so must blame this stigma on others in their group, especially those that are farther from straight norms and those who act in stereotyped ways. They may also feel a need to repudiate sex and to desexualize themselves, others, and the gay movement as a whole. This ambivalence plays out in the gay community with assimilationists seeking respectability and normalcy on the one end, and sex radicals embracing their sexual differences on the other end. Those seeking respectability are the most likely to be harboring sexual shame. The trouble with normal, according to Warner, is many-fold, but it boils down to this. By trying to be quote-unquote normal, 
we are only feeding into larger society's stigma towards sex and sexuality, and that when we take this attitude on as a movement, the result is to reproduce that hierarchy of shame within our own community. Embracing normal throws shame on those further down the ladder of respectability, including those who are effeminate and otherwise don't act straight, those not in monogamous relationships, whether bastards or polyamorous, those into S&M sex, sex workers, those who admit to liking pornography, drag queens, and so on. We do a disservice to ourselves and to society when we try too hard to win acceptance and respectability rather than challenging the faulty assumptions and ethics of the dominant culture. For gay people to disavow sex and sexuality in an effort to fight stigma is to reject the very thing that defines us. Warner also points out that what we think of as normal is really what is statistically normal. People didn't start worrying about normal until polling and statistics came into popularity. Being normal is not really a good reflection of desirability. It's normal to have health problems and to be in debt. It's not normal to be a genius or to be well endowed. People have come to see normal as meaning to be certified or approved, but in essence to be normal is to be common with nothing too special about you. Warner spends an entire chapter with a compelling critique of gay marriage. Since those very issues are being debated in several state courts even as I speak, and since very few gay people seem to question the actual consequences legalized gay marriage might actually have, it seems relevant to include a short discussion of it here. Many in the GLBT rights movement believe that legalizing gay marriage will somehow erase all the hate and intolerance existing in society toward gay people, but that doesn't get to the real root of the problem, which is society's stigma and intolerance of sexual variation. Opponents of gay marriage want their marriages to be wholly at the expense of someone else, but that's really the problem with the institution of marriage as a whole, and that won't change much if gay marriage is legalized. Marriage sanctifies and gives legitimacy to some relationships at the expense of others. It commends and privileges those who are married. It makes them special. If you don't have it, you and your relations are less than worthy. It's kind of like being a single person on Valentine's Day. Being married comes with a bundle of benefits including social and government acknowledgement of your relationship, tax advantages, shared property and the right to divide property upon divorce, rights of inheritance, insurance benefits, next of kin privileges for hospitalized and deceased spouses, and several others. Very few of these have a necessary relationship where they absolutely have to be applied to married couples. These benefits give special privileges to married couples, although most could be extended to other kinds of cohabitating households or intimate relations including relatives and longtime friends. In fact, some other countries are already extending various benefits to alternative kinds of households, whether they be intimate relations, cohabitating friends, or extended families. By keeping these benefits exclusive to married couples, the state further perpetuates the appeal of marriage. Strictly defined marriage offers these privileges and benefits not only at the expense of any of these alternative families and living arrangements, but also at the expense of single people, who are in essence penalized for not being married in everything from health benefits to tax laws. Along with the benefits, marriage also comes with legally enforceable obligations. These include laws against adultery, having sex with someone outside of marriage. Legalized gay marriage would serve as a way for the state and larger society to steer gay men into monogamy. Those gay men who do not choose marriage or monogamy or to bend to the narrow conventions of marriage would be shamed and penalized. Gay marriage would in fact provide less freedom to gay people, not more. 
I believe I mentioned this in another podcast, but Warner reinforces this notion again. Most gay male relationships that last for five years or longer incorporate non-monogamy in some way. Marriage, on the other hand, legally enforces monogamy. Other obligations could include palimony payments by one partner to another upon separation. If there are any children involved, whether through its previous straight relationship or through adoption, child support payments might also be an obligation. Marriage might not be the right choice for gay people for other reasons as well. Historically, marriage has been designed to define lineage and to perpetuate families by having and raising children, not to mention to indoctrinate and carry on a family's religious beliefs. That's why mixed religion marriages have traditionally been frowned upon and are still an issue in some families even today. While there are some gay men who would like to raise children, these are a minority, and since same-sex couples can't procreate, at least not yet, the need to outline the genetic lineage of a child is a moot point. As many feminists would point out, marriage also has historically been a way of dominating and trafficking women. A carryover from this can still be seen today when a bride's father gives her away to the groom. Marriage also allows the state to regulate and enforce the dictates and rules of marriage, as well as regulating and enforcing restrictions on sex and other contexts outside of marriage. Marriage gives power over to the state and third parties to legitimize and affirm the status of a relationship rather than letting that come from within the relationship itself. Instead of gay marriage, Warner offers other solutions. These include extending the special legal privileges currently defined narrowly within marriage into wider contexts, including domestic partnerships, common law marriages, and alternative forms of families. Rather than trying to force the plethora of gay relationships and even many straight relationships into the mold of marriage, it might be better to take the forms of relationships already existing and extend benefits and rights to those, making them available and accessible to gay and straight people alike. Rather than trying to make gay relationships more straight, perhaps we should be trying to allow straight relationships to be more queer. Well, that's pretty much it for this time. Stay tuned later this summer for part two of the Over the Rainbow episode. In part two, we'll be talking in more depth about gay men who are over the gay scene. Don't forget to send in your comments both for and against the gay scene as it stands in 2009. We'll also be talking about the history of the rainbow flag within the gay movement and the significance of its colors. Anyway, until next time. Thanks for listening to Discovering the Male Mysteries with Mel Mystery Podcast. You can find out more information about the show, its hosts, and find a link to our Yahoo group by going to http colon backslash backslash m-e-l-m-y-s-t-e-r-y dot m-a-t-r-i-x w-e-r-x dot com that's http colon backslash backslash millmystery.matrixworks.com If you would like to submit original poetry or music, suggest a topic, or guest host a future segment, you can find information on how to do so, including a way to email me on the Mail Mysteries website. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too.